So we are in a sermon series. This is week four of a sermon series called Get Fit. We've been talking about basically getting fit in a spiritual sense. Um, who made some New Year's resolutions? I did. I'm sure, I'm sure more people than are raising their hands made some New Year's resolutions. Um, so so I, we've been talking about how do we get fit? How, how do we kind of get spiritual change in our lives? And we've been going through some, some ways we can do that. And we've been talking about, first we talked about taking our measurements. Then we talked about some disciplines we can do, specifically getting into the Word of God. We hand it out, and we've got some uh, floating around. We've got some Bible reading programs that'll tell you. If you want to read through the whole Bible in a year, which I highly recommend, I said that that week that we really want to fall in love with this book. We feel like this book is God speaking to us, and so we want to fall in love with the Word of God, and the best way to do that is every day getting in the Word. So I gave out some... um, some Bible reading programs. It's a bookmark you can put in your Bible, or you can look up the look up the Bible reading program on your Bible app, and you can get into the Word every day. Um, and then we actually talked last week. Pastor Terry talked about rest and talked about getting in community with people that will lead you to Jesus, lead lead you into the presence of Jesus, which is something we all need. Sometimes, like I said, we need to be the army of God for each other. So sometimes that means we lead each other into the presence of Jesus. And this week, what I want to talk about is, is one of the hardest parts, um, which, which is this idea of maintenance. Okay, some people can start a program, and then it's hard to maintain. And what, what I've kind of titled this is Lasting Change, Getting Lasting Spiritual Change in Your Life. That's difficult, right? Lasting change is not an easy thing. Um, I, I, I read the, the, an interesting article in Forbes magazine, and it said this, that 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. Uh, when we were in a, our uh, modern worship planning meeting, I asked them, how many of you made, and it was about 40, 50% actually made New Year's resolutions. Here's an interesting thing. Only 8% of those people keep their resolutions. Okay, so, so even out of that small subset of people, a much smaller group of people uh, cannot keep their resolutions or, or actually do keep their resolutions over time. Let me ask you guys, what do you think makes people not keep their resolutions? Anybody have any ideas? I really do. I am asking. What, what's that? One failure? Okay, so you fail once and you can't get back on track. Unrealistic. That's actually very true. Any getting comfortable, um, old habits. Is anybody okay? A word comes to mind for me: willpower. My last name is Power. My nephew is actually named Willpower. <laughs> Which, if if he ever uh, gets overweight, that might be a cruel name to have. Um. Anyway, so. This idea of willpower, so sometimes a lot of people will say, the reason I cannot do this is I have a lack of willpower. You've probably heard that people say that about themselves. I, uh, this, this Forbes article had a really interesting statistic, though. It said this, um, that in one study led by a Stanford University uh, psychologist, scientists gauged whether test subjects believed they could exhaust their willpower and sought to convince them otherwise. The researchers found that people performed better or worse depending on their belief in the durability of willpower. They performed better or worse depending upon their own belief 
So, so here's kind of an interesting idea. You have as much willpower as you think you have. Isn't that interesting? You have as much willpower as you think you have, essentially, which means that on some level, your journey towards self-improvement will be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, the takeaway is this. What you believe about yourself, in fact, who you believe you are, makes it matters. In fact, it makes all the difference. Let me say that again. What you believe about yourself and who you believe you are matters. In fact, it makes all the difference. Um, there is an interesting quote by Henry Ford. I, I, I don't have it up on the screen, but uh, let me see if I don't butcher it. It's, it's something like this. Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. You catch that? Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. That was Henry Ford. Sean tells me he built cars at some point. So, so there's this idea uh, of identity. So I wanted to take a look at this word identity, which I think is very, very important. Identity is the condition or, char- or, is the condition or character as to who a person is, the qualities, beliefs, etc., that distinguish or identify a person or thing. Now, this could very easily devolve, and maybe in some people's minds it already has, into this idea of uh, some, some self-help ideas of, well, you are what you say you are, and it's just a matter of, of you know, having a, a good um, understanding of who you are, and if you just have good self-esteem, then you can just take over the world. What I want to do is I want to get away from, from those kinds of ideas uh, and I want to say, well, how, how can we identify this as people of God, as, as followers of Jesus Christ? I don't this, just want this to be the power of positive thinking. I want this to be brought back to the Word of God. What does this mean for people of God? If, if we are who we think we are, then what does that mean for people who are followers of Jesus Christ? So I want to go to a scripture, really powerful scripture in 1 John. This is 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us in that we should be called children of God. Or we should be called God's children. And, and that is what we are. Because the world didn't recognize him, it doesn't recognize us. Dear friends, now we are God's children. And it hasn't yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we'll see him as he is. So who are we? Children of God. Who are, who are, who is the person sitting next to you? A child of God. Now this actually changes everything. I, I've been spending some time in 1 John this week. Um, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if you're aware of this fact, but a long time ago, not even that long ago, um, just a couple hundred years ago, we didn't have chapters and verses. The Bible was not written in chapters and verses, and it was not actually any kind of church council that decided, oh, we should have them in this order, in this verse. Um, basically, it was one monk who decided, it's going to be easier for me to study the Bible if I can just separate things into smaller chunks. So there's nothing necessarily divine about the chapters and the verses of the Bible. And an interesting thing is to see where this actually lands in context. In the second chapter of 1 John, he's basically doing a theological discussion. He's talking about what it is to be born again by Jesus Christ, by a belief in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. What does that mean and how does that change you? And then he erupts. Okay? The, 
John is erupting into an emotional outburst. Anybody here ever have emotional outbursts? <laughs> Phil does occasionally. I've never seen it, but I've been told. Um, so this is an emotional outburst that this, the, the disciple John is having. And here's what's happening. He's talking about knowing Jesus, and it's hard because we read this, and sometimes we just read the Bible so stoically. We read, see what kind of love the Father has given us in that we should be called God. Okay, if you read this in context, he is speaking theologically, but he's building, and his heart is getting more full, and it's getting more full, and suddenly, it goes from just being something that he's sharing knowledge, that he explodes, and he says, see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and I can just see tears in his eyes as this part of the scripture is being written out as he's sharing this. It's a outburst. It goes from being something that he's just saying something that he feels it. Have you ever gone from getting knowledge to knowing knowledge? Where, where something is something you understand to becoming something you stand under. That's what this knowledge is becoming for, for John. He's exploding and he's saying, see, this changes everything. It's not just something you know, it's something that changes you. And here's the thing, lasting spiritual change doesn't depend on what you do, but on who you are. That's what John has figured out here. He's like, he's like guys, guys, listen. Because of what's happened, because of what Jesus has done for us, it changes everything. You're not even the same anymore. You're not even the same anymore. Because lasting spiritual change doesn't depend on what you do. It depends on who you are. And who are you? A child of God. Now, it's got me thinking a little bit about what a child is. And, and, and why, do, why does it say that? Why does it say that because of what Jesus has done, now we're men of God. Now we are women of God. Why does it say that? What is a child? And I really do want you to brainstorm with me for a second. What, what separates a, 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 a grown-up from a child? Sean said dependence. Yeah. Um, the first thing I wrote down, I wrote down three H's that... Um, a child is helpless, right? Children can, uh, at very young stages, can do nothing for themselves. Children are powerless, and without the help of a greater power, they can't do anything, right? Children are helpless. Here's, here's the second H. Children are hungry. I know I'm a father. Children are constantly hungry. I mean, you think you fed them, and then they're, they're hungry again. And so, so children are hungry. They're always looking for what their father or their mother can give them. They need, they need, they need, and they need constant input. They need to be fed. But the third thing is this. So, so and here's another thing. We talked earlier about this idea of, of, of being able to say, that, God, I'm helpless without you. Being a child of God is an awesome thing. It's a powerful thing. It's transformational. But it also doesn't come without being able to say, God, I'm nothing without you. God, I am nothing without you. I can't change without you. So a child is helpless. A child is hungry. But here's the really, really cool and good news, and this is exciting stuff. A child is also, and you might not know that this begins with an H, a child is an heir. 
A child is an heir. Nick's band is called Fresh Air. I think that's a play on words, right? It's air with an H. And, uh, and that word heir means a lot of things. See, when children are an heir, they receive an inheritance from their parents, right? You get an inheritance. That also means that children receive a couple of things. If you're a child of God, you get a couple really, really awesome things. You get the grace of God for your life. You receive the grace of God. You receive the power of God in your life. You receive the glory of God in your life, and then you get this. This is awesome, and this is what made John's heart overflow. It just exploded out when he, you know, he's, he's teaching this to people, and, and sometimes this happens when, when I'm exclaiming the word of God, when I'm just preaching this stuff. I get overwhelmed. I get overwhelmed because it becomes real. And suddenly, I, I notice this, that I get, because I'm a child of God, the love of God. I get the love of God, not just for me, but to pour out of me. I don't just get the love of God for me, but just like this stuff, it just it wells up on the inside of you. And once you're a child of God, you can't hold it for yourself. It just bursts forth like Johnny just can't hold it in. The love of God bursts forth. You know, I was talking to somebody, uh, a parent who, who had adopted um, some children, and uh, we, we didn't know each other from church setting, okay? I didn't, I didn't know anything about this person's background of why they wanted to adopt children, um, but I asked, and it, I said, so this was a person, they were very successful, why would you want to, to bring children into your life? And th- this lady told me something really interesting. She said, I had, uh, when I was younger, I had a profound spiritual experience, and uh, she said, I encountered the love of God in a very personal and very physical way, and it changed my life. It changed my life in such a way that I just felt like I had so much love to give. That I had so much love to give that I needed to share it with so many people. And it just made me want to adopt children. It made me want to bring more people into this love. There's a, there's a verse um, in, in 2 Corinthians that, that really parallels this verse that we were reading in 1 John, um, and, and I think that this is, this is really amazing. Uh, it says this, uh, But we all with uncovered face behold in a glass the glory of God. We behold in a glass the glory of the Lord and are changed into the same image. From glory to glory, even as the Spirit of the Lord. I chose that translation specifically because it says that we, we see Jesus or we see, behold the glory of God in a glass. When you hold up a glass and you see somebody through it, are you seen perfectly? What happens to the image when you're seeing that? It distorts, right? And what Paul's saying and even what John is saying is, listen, right now on this earth we can just see in parts. We can just see a little. We see a hint of who God is. We can see a hint of the glory of God. But you know what? That hint is enough to change us forever. That hint of knowing the glory of God, even that little bit, can change everything in our hearts, everything in our lives. Here's the thing about beholding the glory of God. It's when you behold the glory of God that this idea of religion becomes a relationship. 
This idea of knowing about Jesus turns into something more like knowing Jesus. Because you can have information in your head that doesn't get down into your heart and therefore doesn't change you, right? Heart information changes. Head information, it's just there. And, and you can take it or leave it. You can have a distance between you and the knowledge that's in your head. Um, my dad passed away in 2007. And my dad was of a generation of men who weren't all that great at showing affection for their children. Anybody else kind of grow up with, with parents from that generation? Specifically, um, men at that time, just they weren't as touchy-feely. They, they, you know, my dad, though, here's the thing. I knew that my dad loved me, and that was knowledge that I had, was that my father loved me. I, I never went without meals, obviously. I never... Um, I never didn't have a roof over my head. We were cared for, and, and my dad loved me. It was knowledge I had. But when my dad had a terminal uh, cancer diagnosis, and we had a couple months left to live, I spent a lot of time with him. And I remember one time specifically where I was, I was, I was carrying him as best I could. He was taller than me, but he was frail in his last, last um, couple months, and I was carrying him to his bed. And he, he stopped and he burst into tears and he put his arms around me, his, his, his bone-thin arms because he was so sick. And, and he burst into tears and he said, Tim, I just need you to know. I need you to know how much I love you. I need you to know that I've always loved you and that, that I, I lived my life to show you that. And that I'll always love you and be so proud of who you are. And here's the thing. I didn't learn any new information, but that information became new. I didn't learn anything new, but suddenly something came alive. I knew love in a new way. And that's the difference between knowing about the love of Jesus and having this love that comes into our hearts and bursts forth, overflows, and suddenly you're changed in a way, and you can't go back to being the same. You can't go back to being what you were before the love of God came and just made you something new. I'm going to invite our band back up to the stage. Now, what does this mean for your life? Well, some of you, this, this, this idea of this love that becomes something new, that bursts forth, that's something you've experienced. And, and some people... You, you hear it, it sounds great, but you've never opened your heart to it. It's, it's like a present that's been sitting there from Christmas that's just been unopened. And I want to make time right now. Um, the band is going to do this song. And what I want to do is sometimes these are the very moments where we open our hearts to God to have an encounter. Because you know what? Um, there's an idea of encounter, uh, of spiritual experience, uh, especially in Eastern religions. Spiritual experience is this idea of, of getting out of rational thought. 